0: You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. We're uh, at the end of our series, Ordinary People, Ordinary Heroes. And about a month ago, I started the series with getting to Joseph and... Um, I got some good feedback from that, had more thoughts, and I really want to finish this idea that comes out of Genesis 50 from getting to Joseph. And just a a quick reminder, we talked about what's going on in Genesis. Joseph is this huge story. God spends more time telling us Joseph's story, roughly 20 chapters, than he does in the beginning in creating the whole universe. It's almost as God was saying, Oh yeah, creating the whole universe. That's not that big a deal. But you gotta listen to the story about my boy Joseph. (laughs) That's the big deal. And I think what Genesis 1 tells us is that we are also in the process of building our own worlds. That's what Genesis is about. We all have some confusion and some uncertainty and some chaos. And some darkness in our lives. And that's how Genesis starts. God created the world. In the beginning there's darkness. And, or darkness hovered over the world. And the word there darkness is Tiamat. It's this dragon that represents chaos that consumes everything. And so in the beginning was a world. But Tiamat was trying to swallow it up. And in your life you will always be battling a Tiamat You'll always be trying to create something. You'll always be trying to um, pass a class, develop a relationship, get a job going, work on a car, work on your whatever. And there's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some obstacle. There's going to be something there that tries to gobble it up. And then you're sort of left with more darkness. So we're always in this process of trying to create a world, battling darkness, push it back, fill our world with more darkness light. So obviously, as we sit here today, it's a good time to think, where are you in your story? Where are you in the building of your world? This is your life challenge. You can't live in somebody else's world, and you can't go to Costco and buy a world to live in. You've got to build your own world. It's got to come out of your heart. It's got to come out of your intentions. It's got to come out of Your talents, it's got to come out of your your dreams, and a lot of it comes out of your obstacles that you overcome. That's what God's doing in Genesis 1. And then we get this beautiful world out of all that. And then these stories that go, Wow, something awesome happened. And then the devil, chaos shows up, and the world falls apart. And then God starts over again and again and again. And Joseph just sort of puts a giant exclamation point on this whole thing at the end of the book of Genesis. Um, so we're always trying to overcome chaotic darkness in our life. That's, that's our challenge. And in building world, one of the most important things is our intentions. What's our intention? What kind of world do we really want to build? Um, in the world, you're always going to be in your world. And other people are always going to be in your world. And that always shapes the world that you live in. The world, your world, always is going to have some injury in it. It's always going to have some injury in it. And when we get to Genesis 50, there's always going to be some inspiration at the end, amen, and some saving of lives. That's a good quote. That's the Serenity Prayer. We did that point and that point. And we get to Genesis chapter 50, one of the, this great, again, sort of incredible punctuation at the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph has been betrayed. Joseph has been imprisoned. Joseph has been abandoned. And he has this incredible reunion with his brothers at the end of his life, at the end of his story. And this is a scripture to live by. Amen, church? You intended harm. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. There's a lot of bad intent in the world. There's a lot of selfishness in the world. There's a lot of violence in the world. There's a lot of racism in the world. There's a lot of greed in the world. There's a lot of exploitation in the world. There's a lot of mindlessness. There's a lot of numbness. All that stuff hurts people. And if you don't have God in your life, then the best you can hope for is just to survive that. Then your life just becomes an obstacle course of avoiding those things. And I think that's what led sort of the ancient Catholics into monastery living. Now the world is dark and it's bad and there's just obstacle living. you got to try and avoid all that. But Jesus never lived like that. There's a lot of ill intent. There's a lot of people that intend harm. But God always intends good. God's intent is always good towards us. And God still cares deeply about the world that's being built and about your world. And then that's supposed to inspire, give us strength, direction toward building whatever it is that we're trying to build with our lives. Okay. So Joseph's life, again, has this incredible roller coaster to it. He's the favorite son, and he's the baby, and everybody loves him, and he shows off a little bit. Uh, The young kids, right? Do we have some babies, the babies of the families? Who's sort of the baby of the family? We love the babies of the family. They tend to get a little more attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can tend to be a little bit of the uh, prince or princess of the family. The older ones always resent the little ones and all the attention they get. I'm an older brother. I believe my story to be the one of I get blamed for everything wrong that happens in the house. And my sister can do no wrong. It doesn't matter what she does. She's always going to get a lot of love and hugs and attention and all that stuff. Anyway, he shows off a little bit and his brothers are resentful and they betray him. They sell him into slavery. That is cold. And he's abandoned. He's in Potiphar's household and Potiphar is an Egyptian captain and he rises up to become the leader of this whole household. He's got incredible skill, talent. What's your skill and talent? What kind of passions do you have? Everybody's got some talent. Everybody's got skill. Everybody has something that resonates deeply inside of them. And Joseph's a natural leader, and he's an administrator, and he's a great organizer, and so it doesn't matter where Joseph gets put. He ends up taking charge of everything, and he's and and they trust him, and he organizes everything, and whatever he's doing uh, uh does really, really, really well. And so there he is, he's chief of the household, and Potiphar's wife approaches him and she wants to have sex with him, and he pushes her away. No, I can't do that, and she lies, she's embarrassed. And he goes to jail, falsely accused. So he's been enslaved and he's been imprisoned. And one of his great talents is the ability to interpret dreams. And there's a couple other uh, gangsters in jail with him there. He's got the cupbearer and the baker. That's right. <laughs> And they've had dreams, and they don't know their dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams. And for the cup bearer, yeah, it's your basic good news, bad news. Uh, you're going to get out of jail, and God's going to bless you, and you're going to get back your life. It's a little bit of what the locusts ate. God's about to return to you. God, thank you. That's encouraging. Uh, Baker, bad news for you, right? You're going to die in a couple of days. You're going to lose the old chopping of the head. You're in the chopping of the head program that's exactly what happens and the cupbearer gets out thank you thank you thank you that meant so much to me and totally forgets about joseph so joseph is abandoned in jail what what did i do wrong how do i how do i get out of this place what's god doing with me i can do no good everything i everything i touch sort of gets ruined and of course his great dream is to be reunited with his family in jail the baker uh the cupbearer finally does remember him Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Incredible power. So that's his story. All of our stories will have these highs and lows, high tide, low tide, uh, time of bounty and plenty and blessing, and times of grief and times of sorrow and times of loss. I was talking to Mark Shaw a few months ago, and I'd forgotten this story, and I was waiting for an opportunity to read this. Let me just share this with you. One day in late summer, an old farmer was working in his field with his old sick horse. The farmer felt compassion for the horse and desired to lift its burden. So he left the horse, He let the horse go to the mountains and live out the rest of his life. Soon after, neighbors came from the nearby village offering their condolences and said, Wow, what a shame. Now... Your only horse is gone. How unfortunate you are. You must be very sad. How will you live, work the land, and prosper? The farmer replied, Who knows? We'll see. Two days later, the old horse came back, now rejuvenated after meandering in the mountainsides while eating wild grasses. He came back with 12 new, younger, and healthy horses, which followed the old horse into the corral. Word got out in the village and the old farmer's good fortune, about the old farmer's good fortune, and it wasn't long before people stopped by to congratulate the farmer and his good luck. Wow, how fortunate you are, they exclaimed. You must be very happy. And again, the farmer softly said, who knows, we'll see. At daybreak the next morning, the farmer's only son set off to attempt to train the new wild horses. But the farmer's son was thrown to the ground and broke his leg. And one by one, the villagers arrived during the day to bemoan the farmer's latest misfortune. Wow, what a tragedy. Your son won't be able to help you with the farm because of his broken leg. You have to do all the work yourself now. How are you going to survive? You must be very sad. Calmly going about his usual business, the farmer answered, Who knows? We'll see. Several days later, a war broke out, and the emperor's men arrived in the village, demanding that the young man come with them and be conscripted into the emperor's army. As it happened, the farmer's son was deemed unfit because of his broken leg. "'What good fortune you have!' the villagers exclaimed as their young sons were marched away. "'You must be very happy!' Who knows? We'll see. And the story sort of continues. It's kind of a circular story that never ends. "'Wow, you've been richly blessed!' Maybe. Who knows?' Just do a quick Google search on the outcome of people's lives that win the lottery. That's really interesting. That's unbelievable. The stories, the true stories about people that won the lottery and the whole family blew up and cousins are killing each other and mobile homes are burning and on fire and all kinds of calamity. All kinds of calamity. Who knows? You never know what God is doing with the events in our life. And I'm going to sort of end with this. But you're in the potter's hands and you don't know how he's trying to shape you. That's his intent. That's what he cares about. What he cares about isn't so much the blessing nor the curse. He cares about what's going on while you're in his hands and how you're being shaped and how he's trying to develop some kind of character or some kind of talent, or some kind of relatability, right? Second Corinthians 1, we come back to this over and over again about, wow, um, be comforting those that have been comforted. And we comfort those with the comfort we've received, but you never get comfort if you've never been wounded. And it's a little bit of that idea. Read this passage with me. I think this is sort of illustrates this idea in Job chapter 5, right? And we remember Job, the devil has... Come into the throne room and ask God Himself, Hey, your boy Job here that everybody makes a big deal about, he's just happy and spiritual because you protect him and he's blessed. Well, what if you, you know, leave him in my hands for a little bit and we'll see what happens to this happy-go-lucky Mr. Spiritual. He'll curse you. In Job chapter 5, we read this. Um, In verse 18. Sorry, that's supposed to be verse 18. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. From six calamities, he will rescue you. In seven, no harm will befall you. In famine, he will ransom you from death. And in battle from the stroke of the sword. I want you to think about that passage. That's, that takes some thinking about. He, we always think of God as just protecting. This says, no, he wounds, but he also heals. He doesn't leave us wounded. There's no, there's no mean, there's no such thing as meaningless suffering. God's always trying to redeem our suffering. All of our suffering is really valuable. All of our suffering redeems us and then helps redeem the lives of others. If you've been abused in your life, that's a deep wound. It's not a wound that you just overcome overnight. It's sort of a life process overcoming that wound. It leaves some scar tissue. But wow, the, when you work through it, the effect and the impact that you have on others that haven't started their journey yet and have just been abused. And we see God again using these stories in a circular fashion to redeem and to heal and to save. And he's not that worried about us getting hurt. Everybody gets hurt. He's a lot more concerned about you staying in His hands and what happens to you when you're in His hands. Do you stay soft and let Him shape you? Or do we get hard and bitter and resentful and fight it all? That's my normal sort of response. How do you use injury in your life? Everybody's got to answer that. We love the blessings. And then we're always really confused about injury and harm. Right? Remember the passage? You intended harm, and when we get hurt, we sort of get we sort of get you know blinded, a lot of confusion. We don't understand what's going on. How do you deal with injury and harm in your life? It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And if your worldview sort of is God is punitive, or the devil's really powerful, or the universe is just chaotic, then you don't have a lot of hope. And again, all you can do is try and live an obstacle course of life just trying to avoid pain and that's no way to really live a life be healed in god's hands and i think that's why jesus we hear him repeat this over and over again do you want to get well it's pretty rare that he just heals people he always wants to know their intention do you want to be well do you want to get healed If you don't want to get healed, some of us don't want to get healed or we're uncomfortable with the idea of being healed because now there's a sense of freedom and you 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 can really go out into the world now and do something. But a lot of us are afraid of doing that because our wounds limit us and then it really lowers the bar of expectation out there for us. If I always walk with a limp, you don't expect me to do very much in the race, do you? But if I walk around healthy, then you want to see me out there really giving it my all and going for it. If you really want to experience that kind of life, then you put yourself in God's hands and you let Him heal you. You let Him redeem you. And then you throw yourself out there. And you let Him use you to help heal others. That's a rich experience that goes way beyond just trying to avoid pain. We're going to talk about this after um, Byron's class. And then we have Kim, Kimberly coming from Pepperdine. Then we're going to start a class for our parents. Uh, the louis wrote a book a few years ago, Good Enough Parenting. Has anybody read Good Enough Parenting? Got a, oh, yeah, hardly anybody. Good, this will be very new then. This will be very new. And John Louie was trained through schema therapy. And schema therapy is really interesting. Schema therapy, and this is in the book, and this will be one of our nights, that all of our wounds will lead to, they organize it into 18 different life traps. Life traps. And that we fall into different life traps. And right, one of our basic needs right there at the beginning on the right hand side is for safe attachment, acceptance, being cared for, right? That's just, that's just safe home. That's just safe, safe home. We crave that. That's a need. When we don't experience that, and a lot of us haven't experienced that, we go into something called dissociation and rejection. That becomes kind of our life trap. That's how we view every, all of our experience. Well, there's no such thing as safe attachment, acceptance, and care. Our experience is always going to end up in disconnection and rejection. And what we do is this becomes a life story that we keep playing out in our relationships and in our careers and in school and all over the place. We keep replaying these things over and over again to see if we can get a corrective experience. But the world's totally chaotic. Where are you really going to get a corrective experience? God and His Word and the truth in His Word. But that's what injuries do. Injuries leave us with these wounds that turn into life traps that we try and crawl out of for most of our lives. Now, back to Joseph, What, what, what is he going through here? Joseph's been betrayed. Joseph's been imprisoned. Joseph's experiencing a lot of loneliness. Wow, there's a lot of life traps there that Joseph could fall into. Right? If you experience sort of a chain Of negative experience, you might fall into the life trap. Here's just one of them. This is number 15. Of negativity and pessimism. A pervasive, lifelong focus on the negative aspects of life. Pain, death, loss, disappointment, conflict, guilt, resentment, unsolved problems, potential mistakes, betrayal. Things are always going to go wrong. While minimizing or neglecting the positive or optimistic aspects usually includes an exaggerated expectation in a wide range of work, financial, or interpersonal situation, that things will eventually go seriously wrong, or that aspects of one's life that seem to be going well will ultimately fall apart. It's hard to trust. Usually involves an inordinate fear of making mistakes that might lead to Financial collapse, loss, humiliation, or being trapped in a bad situation. Because potential negative outcomes are exaggerated, these people are frequently characterized by chronic worry, hypervigilance, complaining, indecision, right? That makes sense. That makes sense. I think I experienced some of that, right? A lot of us have these experiences. This would be one of mine. Alcoholic father. And a critical mother. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's millions of stories. That's millions of stories. I remember my parents fighting. Well, probably first, second grade. And I'd gotten into some trouble at school, right? And you got to go see the principal. It's one of those stories. And you got to go see the principal again. And you got to go see the principal again. And we're going to have to sort of put you in the special needs class. And the principal gave me this challenge you got to get 10 smiley faces. From your teacher at the end of the week, and if you get 10 smiley faces for good behavior at the end of the week, then you get to stay in your teacher's class. It's like, wow, that's challenging, but okay, awesome. Um, I feel motivated. I got to try and get 10 smiley faces. My parents got in a fight, and my mom grabs a bag and she grabs me and she says, We're going to a hotel to stay overnight. I said, "Um, Okay, how come? Because Aren't you doing smiley faces? I said, yeah. Well, to reward you for your smiley faces. <laughs> yeah, I know. I go, yeah, okay, that's awesome. But, but I only have two. <laughs> I only have two. Well, are you going to get more? Yeah, I'm going to get more. I'm going to get more. Okay, well, then we're going to a hotel. And I'm rewarding you. And it was confusing because she was angry at me but she was rewarding me and i hadn't really accomplished anything and so you grow up with some confusing messages from your parents and what happens people tell you later in life hey i really love you and things are great and you go i'm supposed to be having warm fuzzy experience right now and i want to run away or not respond or look for the wizard of oz Somewhere behind your nice words, the Wizard of Oz is pulling some levers, and I don't really live in Oz, you know, we live in hell, or something like this. And you know, I'm kind of exaggerating, but many of us, we all understand, all of us have some sort of that story and or experience working out inside of us. But I remember becoming a Christian and really throwing myself into God's hands, and um, really struggling with trust and really struggling with accepting love and really struggling with could I really be a good husband and a good father? That's, that seems impossible. I don't know how I could really do that. I didn't experience How, can, how do you do something you haven't experienced? I, I'll mess it up. I'll ruin it. I'm sure I'll ruin it. And it's hard to work that story. It takes a lot of forgiveness and it takes a lot of communicating. It takes a lot of prayer. And it takes a lot of putting yourself back into the potter's hands and it takes a lot of you know, getting good people in your life to work through those stories. And it's good that it takes a long time. We love that. Just repent and don't perish and let it all go. We love that story. It should be a Disney story, Disney song. But for the big stuff in our life, that's really rare. That's really rare. Most of it takes a going back to and working through, and that's not analysis of paralysis. That's just walking up a tough hill. And walking again, and walking again, and walking again. And again, think of, think of Joseph. Loneliness, betrayal, doubt, mistrust. He should, be, he should be a neurotic mess. And he's the one that's teaching us, I'm good. I'm good. God took care of me. You intended harm, but God intended good. I'm okay. I want my family back. And that's, you know, we want to start over with other people. Uh, marriage, right? This is good for us. It's hard to go back and be healed from the one that harmed you. But that's a great challenge for us. And every marriage has that experience. Every marriage has that experience. Okay, so we're trying to work out of those things and not live out of a life trap or worldview from our injuries, and we all have a little scar tissue, but from what God intends and what God desires and what His design is for our life. The question isn't, were you challenged? We've all felt challenged. Calculus is challenging. Being hungry right now is challenging. We've all been challenged. The question is, were you changed? And again, this is how God redeems our pain, right? That's, I believe that's the Jeremiah passage. Uh, thank, you, thank you, Kenny. Uh, I believe that's Jeremiah 18. Let me just read this real fast. Jeremiah 18, he says in verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter? So you're in my hand. If at any time I announce to a nation or kingdom uh, that a kingdom is to be uprooted and torn down and destroyed... And if that nation I warned repents of evil, then I'll relent and not inflict it on it. The disaster. Well, that's pretty big hands. I've got a nation in my hands. I do with it what I want. It's hard not to be afraid when we listen to the news. You see North Korea and Russia and, uh, and the Middle East and war. It's hard. But you've got to picture every single one of those countries. God's just got it in His hand. He's shaping it. We're in His hand. America He's shaping it. That matters to him, how it gets shaped. And there's a lot of bad and evil and ungood in our country, like every country. How will he shape? I don't know, but we're in his hand. That's the point of the story. Are there bad people? Yeah, yeah. And do good people suffer? They do. But we're still in his hand and he's trying to shape something. Is it good or it's bad? We don't know exactly. Uh, And that's back to Genesis 40 when... Right before Joseph interprets his dream, isn't it God that's the interpreter of dreams? Isn't it God that's the interpreter of experience? If you don't have money right now, your story is, I'm in bad, you know, there's some sort of curse, heavy hand withholding from me because I don't have money. You've interpreted your dream, you've interpreted your story as one of being without. But God's the interpreter of the story. If you're single and you're lonely, if you're a student and you got a crush on somebody and they like somebody else. If you're, you know, you got a job and you want a raise or a promotion but somebody else gets that thing. You know, we interpret these things as not being blessed. Isn't it God? It's God that's the interpreter of the story. We're too quick to say it's bad, it's negative, it's a curse. God's God's interpreting that story. He's got a bigger purpose, weaving all those threads together to do what—to redeem, to save, to heal. You know, we got a nice, we got a, we got a wonderful little church here with incredible people in it. Incredible people, devoted, made Jesus Lord, want to be a disciple, forsaking all others to take up my cross and bear my cross and 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 follow Him. And some of us have been richly blessed at times, and some of us kind of cursed. We don't know the interpretation of those dreams, those stories. That's in God's hands. What's our goal? What's our real goal? To be blessed? No, to go to heaven. And to save lives. You intended harm, but God intended good, and that's at the end of that passage for the saving of many lives. What is his intent? What is his intent? First Timothy two verse three says, "It's God's intent that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth." Where are you in your story? The secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Where are you in your story? It's hard not to ruminate, obsess. Think about the wrongs that have been done, the letdowns, the wounds and the pains and the injury, right? Well, I have some old scars that st- scar tissue itches. Scar tissue looks ugly. I've got a big scar from my knee to my ankle. And when people look at it, they always sort of go, wow, what happened to you? That's an ugly scar. And it itches and, and there's, a lot of lot, there's a lot of numbness on that scar. It's easy, it's easy to focus on that old wound. When I run, it, it takes a little while to warm up, and I've got some arthritis in there, and it creaks, and it makes weird noises, and it kind of hurts, and it slows me down. But I almost lost my leg. I'm running. So is it the curse of the wound or the blessing of being healed and being able to run again? You can focus on the pain and being slow. I did this, I, did this, I think it was Monday. I was, I was out running, and I was trying to do a prayer run. I love this prayer run. And I sort of try and get real present, and i got a couple of things I want to pray about. This is my best prayer. This is my best prayer, these prayer runs. And I, and I run by, and I'm on the um, canal, Bayona Creek, heading down to the beach, the marina there. And this, you know, these bees all come out. I've shared this before. They didn't kill this bee. This bee swarm comes out, and I get stung by a bee. It's like seven in the morning. And I just stop and I'm like, God, really? Come on. I'm so sick of this. I'm trying to have a prayer. Gotta pray for the church. Gotta pray for the teens. Pray for my kids. Pray for my sister. I'm out here to say a prayer. What's the deal with the bees already? I didn't need a bee. God, it hurts. Now it's swelling up. I'm kind of allergic. Now I'm angry. Make it go. I mean, what do I even pray for? Okay, fine. I don't even, you don't want me to pray. How about I just don't pray? How do you like that? How do you like that? I'll just sit here and be mad at you. How about I just sit here and say nothing? I'll just run and be mad. And I did that for like an embarrassingly long time. And ran out. And then I came back. Calmed down. Remember what I'm about. He redeemed stories. And there's the beehive again. And I was running slow, and I was still a little upset. It's kind of swelling up. And a runner, guy, runs by me really fast. And I go, hey. He's like, yeah, 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 what? We don't like to be interrupted when we're running. I'm like, careful, there's some bees up there. And he stopped, and he's like, God, really? Thanks a lot. You know, he sort of swerves out, and he, whatever, no big deal. He didn't get stung. He didn't get stung because I got stung. And then I was a little bit like, why did you have to sting me, God? I didn't really like that. Because maybe it was his des- desire that that guy didn't get stung. Why were you abused? Why did you go without? Why are you lonely? Why were you betrayed? Why didn't you get the job? Why did you not pass the class? Why didn't you get into that school? Why, why didn't you have the kids that you wanted? Or the savings that you wanted? Or the house that you wanted? or Why did your life end up like this? Where are you in your story? And right now, I want to challenge you. Stop thinking about your fear. Stop thinking about everything else that's going to go wrong. Stop being angry with Him. Stop blaming everybody else that's been blessed. It's great to be here this morning and see Tom. And Tom is Nita's brother. And Nita describes Tom as sort of bigger than life and this personality. And then he had a stroke. And Nita says, well, after Tom had a stroke, he changed. He was more humble. He was different. But, you know, when you see a guy that's had a stroke and he's limping, you feel for him. And Tom opened himself up and listening to God and study the Bible. And, and we already shared about it, But, you know, Tom then becomes a Christian. Tom was baptized in the Temecula Church. and And, and there's... There's meaning in that. It'd be easy to be afraid and bitter and cynical. Or we put Himself in His hands and we allow ourselves to be soft and He'll shape us and He'll change us. So we don't need to blame others. And we don't need to be mad at the world. And we don't need to be upset with the uncertainty in our life. That is hard. It is hard. But if you trust you're in God's hands, then you rest And you take your gifts and you work. And you throw yourself out. You intend to do good and build a good world. And you notice, and you notice other people around you that are suffering. And you stop them and you hug them and you listen to them and you talk to them. Hey, watch out. There's some bees up there. And we save, and in doing this, we heal and we save our souls and we save more along the way. And that's his intent for us. And in this way, the ordinary become extraordinary. No matter what or who intends to harm you, God's arms have you. Singers, come on up. We're going to close on out with a song. I sort of snuck up on them there. No matter what or who intends to harm you, God's arms have you. Don't give in to fear. And don't give in to calamity and chaos. We have an incredible guy, the starter of all the stories, who starts all great stories in darkness. Don't be afraid of the Tiamat, the chaos in your life. That's how God shapes. Put yourself in his hands. You're in the potter's hands. Don't be hard and angry. Let him shape you. Be soft. You'll be amazed at the story that he develops in your life. God bless you. God bless the church. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit Westsidechurch.com or laicc.net.